Welcome to Sunday Morning Live Fellowship. You are listening to our live Sunday morning service. Now turn with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. While you're finding our scripture, let me say this. How many of you have wondered if you are really saved? I mean, have you ever asked yourself if you are really a Christian? Perhaps for you, that question looms like a shadow in the back of your soul, threatening your deepest hopes and peace of mind. And so in the stillness before you finally fall asleep or in the quiet moments of the day and sometimes even in the middle of worship service, the shadow returns, whispering, am I really saved or am I just a big hypocrite? deceiving myself. I mean, I seem to love Jesus. I seem to trust him. I seem to bear the marks of a changed life. But then another shadow creeps in and whispers, but so did Judas. Beloved, the assurance of salvation has been perhaps the chief struggle for many a Christian over the years. I know the topic of assurance is complex. Christians who have been saved for 50 years sometime doubt their salvation for one reason or another. Nevertheless, for those who find themselves floundering on this topic, we have a word for you. Now let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Heavenly Father, we are just overjoyed to come to your throne. Oh God, what an opportunity that you have reconciled us to yourself. But initially you chose us in your son, Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world. And for that, we worship you. We are all in your presence. We thank you, our creator, the initiator of all that is You chose us and we thank you. Father, now we pray for the remainder of the service. God, we pray for your servant. (laughs) Lay your hand, oh God, upon her. Father, we pray that your spirit would blow up every word, that your anointing, your Shekinah glory, oh God, would be felt and received by all. Oh God, we pray that we would sit down and you stand up. Oh God, that you would have your way in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 4b, that we should be holy and blameless before him. I would like to use for a topic this morning. All in favor? Say aye. All in favor, say aye. The assurance of salvation is something that is cultivated and grows deeper and stronger over time. It is a gift that God gives to us, but it takes time and frequent 
testing. Assurance grows by repeated conflict. And the repeated conflict shows the power of God and his goodness to save. For instance, when we have been brought very low, his power raises us up back again. When we've been deeply wounded, it is God that heals us. When we've been cast down, it is his loving hand that lifts us up again. Or maybe we have given up all hope and then suddenly God rescues us from danger and puts us in a safe place. And then we have heard God's word repeated to us and in us a thousand times over. It is then that we begin to learn to trust the word and power of God beyond what we can see, beyond what we've, what we've heard and what the world says has predicted would happen. This is the trust with its habitual use that builds up the assurance of salvation. In other words, God's way of building up our confidence in his saving power in us is by putting us through all kinds of trials and various hardships. The process is designed to be hard. Trials are the way that faith is proven, refined, and strengthened. That's why James said in James 1 verses 2 and 3, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance. It's why Romans said in Romans 5, 3 and 4, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And then we have Hebrews 12 and 7. It reminds us to put up with hard times when it says that God uses hard times to train us. If he did not, he would not be treating us as his children. What children are not trained by their parents? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Beloved, it is the discipline of enduring trials and suffering that ends up proving that we are God's children. Wow. It is the discipline of enduring trials and enduring suffering that ends up proving that we are the children of God. And though for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, later discipline yields the fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. One of the consoling fruits of the righteousness of God that depends on faith is the assurance that we are saved. Now, somebody want to know, why has God designed the process 
of giving us a growing assurance of faith by taking us through trials. Beloved, God does this because we can't be trusted with assurance. We are too prone to give the credit of right standing with God to ourselves. We would get all puffed up in self and our eyes would focus on ourselves rather than the saving grace and mercy of God's redeeming love until we finally see the true nature of our own deceitful heart. God has to take us through tests and trials. We need that knowledge of the evil and deceitfulness in our heart, which can only be seen through painful, repeated suffering and trials. You remember Peter? Peter was all puffed up in confidence in himself, promised Jesus that he would never deny him. Only hours before he did deny Christ. Beloved, our sin nature is powerful and our faith is weak. <laughs> we are prone, we are proud and self-reliant. It is the fiery trials that heat up our faith, but at the same time cause many emotions and feelings to surface in the form of doubt, fear, anxiety, anger, jealousy, bitterness, selfish ambition, fear of people, and so, so, so much more. And when we see these ugly traits, that's when we begin to doubt our salvation. Now, James chapter one and two says that we just need to count it all joy. We just read this. Count it all joy when you fall into divers trials and temptation. Uh, it might sound straightforward enough, <clears throat> but we need more than just a command to own this verse and to understand it. Our minds and hearts need reason. We want to know why God uses such methods. We could just sum up the, with the explanation from Romans 8 and 28, our favorite Bible verse, for we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Or we could go to 2 Corinthians 4 and 17. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We could say with the Apostle Paul in Romans 8 and 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Or we could say with Jesus in Matthew 5 and 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. But here today, what we are talking about specifically are the trials that relate to the assurance of salvation. We have something very particular in mind that has to do with endurance during trials and thus builds our faith in the assurance of our salvation that we have received the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Endurance 
enduring trials. Endurance on its own is not a desirable trait. What makes it effective is what we endure in. When we are wading through adversity, <coughs> we endure by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. We endure in faith. That's what grows our faith that we are saved, <laughs> is enduring trials and tribulation. Now, somebody want to know? Okay, what is faith? <laughs> well, I'm glad you ask. <laughs> faith is an irresistible affection of the heart that gets projected outside of the heart because it is being drawn to an irresistible desirable object. Let me say that again. Faith is an irresistible affection of our heart that gets projected outside of our heart because it is being drawn to an irresistible, desirable object. Beloved, God is the object of our faith. And when we are enduring trials in faith, it's what it means to be a Christian. I can endure because all my affections are being drawn toward God. If we do not endure in faith, we will be on the wrong side of what really matters in this life. What matters most in this life is being right with God, the creator of all that is, and enjoying the fruit of his redeeming love, eternal life with his son, Jesus Christ. In other words, when God tests our faith, he is actually preserving our faith. Faith does not flourish if it lies untested. Faith deteriorates when it's not being exercised and eventually it will die. Our only safety is in the power, mercy, and faithfulness of our great and loving Savior. So it is what we endure in. We endure in our affection toward God, and that is what we call enduring in faith. Our next point is to show what God did in the past and is doing by his own initiative to guarantee our salvation. Oh, I got to say it again. Mm. What God did in the past and by his own initiative <laughs> guarantees our salvation. I want to focus on the reality of God's unstoppable purposes, his unfailing plans and his unbeatable work 
to save us. And then I must throw this question in, in the middle of the point, how are you responding to what God did for you in his son, Jesus Christ? In other words, we need to dwell on some things that we had nothing to do with. And yet these things make all the difference in the world for us. These things are God's unshakable reality to beget the assurance of saving faith in us. In other words, look at what God has put in place and stop looking at yourself. Hebrews 12 and 2 says, consider Jesus or look to Jesus, the pioneer and protector, perfecter of our faith. In other words, don't dwell on yourself. Dwell on what God did for you in his son, Jesus Christ. This is a paradox. Most people think the more we focus on what we're doing relating to our purity or impurity or our attitudes and behavior, the more certain or even uncertain we become in our right standing with God. Paradoxically, the path to assurance is to shift our focus off of ourselves and on to God. In other words, off the subject of our faith and see the object of our faith. If you only see you, you will think of yourself as beyond hope and not capable of faith, which breeds feelings of rejection. However, when we read Romans 3 and 25, God put Christ forward as our blood. Replacement, we must receive this replacement by faith. This was to show us God's righteousness because in God's divine mercy, he forgave our sins. All we must do is accept and believe the reality of God's salvation. (laughs) When we accept and believe that the atoning sacrifice of Jesus is enough. We walk in the faith of full assurance of our salvation. In other words, we focus our attention not on what we are doing to prove that we are saved, but we focused on what God has done to save his people. And as we focus on the great work that God has done, God himself will glorify that work in us by creating faith and assurance and joy and freedom and obedience and power. God has unstoppable, undefeatable, invincible purposes to save his people. And the more we dwell on what he has done to infallibly achieve his purpose, the deeper and lively will be our assurance. God loves to glorify the worth of his work by making it the basis of our salvation. And now 
Let us look at our text again. Ephesians 1 and 4, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Our text begins by blessing God. Blessed, hallelujah. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed or favored us with every blessing that heaven can give. And the first foundation that Paul mentions for this assured fact is that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. The text says God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. In other words, you were God's choice to save. And God's choice is invincible. (laughs) It cannot fail because it is based first, not on our choosing God, but on God's choosing us. (laughs) Verse four, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Listen to me. Your salvation did not begin with your choice to believe in Christ. Yes, a choice was real and necessary, but your salvation began before the creation of the universe when God planned the history of redemption, ordained the death and the resurrection of his son, and chose you to be his own through the sacrifice of the lamb that was slain. This is the object of our faith. This is the great objective ground for assurance. And who, who did God choose? (laughs) First Corinthians 1 and 27, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. This text says very clearly that God chose a particular kind of people to be in his church. He did not just choose the church and leave the church's composition to us because we would mess it up. The Bible says he chose foolish individuals and called them into Christ. He chose weak individuals and called them into Christ. He chose some low people and placed them in Christ. He chose some despised individuals and called them into Christ so that no one might boast in anyone but the Lord. And then to make this crystal clear, he said in verse 30 of this 
chapter, first chapter in first Corinthians from him that is from God, you are in Christ Jesus or another translation says by his doing. You are in Christ Jesus. The NIV translation says it is because of him that you are in Christ. In other words, it is just as though Paul knew that someone would come along someday and say that God does not choose who is in Christ but only chooses individuals who put themselves in Christ. (laughs) So he says in verses 27 and 29 that God chose the individuals who would make up the church in Christ. He says in verse 30 that it is by God's doing that we are put in Christ. The glorious, unshakable foundation of being a Christian is that God chose you to be one. God put you in Christ. So I say from verse 26, consider, Paul said, consider your calling. Consider how you came to be in Christ. Think about it. It will take all the boasting off yourself and put it all on God. I know I'm right. Verse 31 ends the section by saying, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the boasting of the assurance of salvation. This is the exaltation of considering our calling and our election and seeing that it is all God and feeling a tremendous confidence, courage, strength, and love to endure in the face of any adversity. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? So I come back to our text. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. (laughs) In other words, before the creation of the universe, God thought about you. (laughs) Before the creation of the universe, God fixed his eyes on you and chose you for himself. He did not choose you because you were already in Christ of your own doing. He did not choose you because he saw you as a person of faith, but he chose you that you might become a believer. He did not choose you because you chose him. He chose you so that you might choose him. He did not choose you because you were holy or good, but so that you might become holy and good. Everything we are and all that we hope to be is rooted in God's freely and lovingly choosing us. Our faith, our hope, our work is not grounded in what we do, but it is grounded in the amazing grace of God. There is no ground for bragging. 
except in God. And in the face of fear and loss of losing your salvation, just think of Romans 8 and 33. Who shall bring any charge against the Lord's elect? Um, As we conclude, please think about this. Most of our desire for God is greatly fueled out of our need, uh, what we want, um, what we think we need, like areas of loss. Um, That's where we fuel most of our communication with God. Unmet desires is what keeps us on our knees. But listen to me, beloved, earthly blessings are temporary and can be taken away at a moment's notice. Uh, We are blessed with God's favor. Jesus has secured our righteousness and we will one day be presented as blameless before the Father. Jesus accomplished something we could never do on our own. He made us blameless, free from guilt, free from all blame. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but the Father placed us in Christ and now we are indeed blameless. Our sins are forgiven. Our sins have been washed away in Christ we will be presented as blameless on that final day. And even right now, Christ is interceding for us because the enemy would come and accuse us. The enemy would come and whisper to us. The enemy would come and think that we are not worthy. But Jesus, our high priest, is interceding on our behalf. The Father has covered us with the righteousness of his Son, Jesus. The Father has covered us with the blood of Jesus. And no accusation can come against us because when the Father sees us, he does not see us, but he sees the righteousness of his Son. He sees the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ. This is favor. We did not do anything to deserve it. We cannot understand it with our limited and finite minds. But God loves us in Jesus Christ. The favor of what it means to be in Christ is far greater than anything you could ask for from this temporary world. It is far greater than anything that this world has to offer. God chose us. God predestined us. God adopted us. God lavished us with his grace. God gave us an inheritance far beyond our wildest dreams, all to the praise of his glory. 
favor. And when we are tempted to think that we must somehow be good enough to deserve God's love, we need to remember that the God of the universe thought of us, created us, sought us out, (laughs) sent his son to die for us, uh, forgave us of our sins, um, and we didn't do anything but receive it by faith. Remembering these great truths help us fight the insecurity regarding our salvation. These truths make us eager to know him, to love and obey him, not because of anything we can earn, but because of all that he has done for us. Because he first loved us, because he first pursued us, we can pursue him. Beloved, you are basking in the favor of God. So all in favor, say I. All in favor, say I. Yes, you are favored by God. Now say I. Thank you, God, for your favor. You could have left us where we were. But you chose us and you redeemed us in your love. You have protected us and kept us from harm. You secured our salvation. Hallelujah. If your salvation has not been secured because you have not asked Jesus into your heart by faith and repented of your sins, Pray this simple prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have done many things that don't please you. I have lived my life for myself only. I am sorry and I repent. I ask you to forgive me. I believe that you died on the cross for me to save me. You did what I could not do for myself. I come to you now and ask you to take control of my life. I give my life to you from this day forward. Help me to live every day in a way that pleases you. If you prayed that simple prayer, please contact me at 231-349-1046 so that I may speak with you about the first steps of salvation. God bless you.